and welcome in to episode 17 of the Stick to Hockey Podcast. Jason Ratitas alongside Joe Torrey. What's going on, Jeff? 17 is a good number. That's one of my like clear memories. One of the first hockey games that I covered was Ilya Kovalchuk's first game with the Devils, oh. where he's taking like the three-minute shift, yeah. and the whole crowd just like, ah, and he was wearing number 17. So yeah. 17 sticks out for me. 17 is a good number. It's always yeah. been one of those good hockey numbers. Yeah. Paul Holmgren actually wore 17. It's a good one. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, so a couple things, uh, business things to get into. Go and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can go to wildfireradio.com. Find it there, Wildfire Sports. You can also uh, hit us up on iTunes. Search Stick to Hockey, the number two hockey. Uh, find it there. Subscribe to us. Make sure you give us a, a rating and a review. The reviews and uh, ratings have slowed down a little bit. We need to get those going again. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's like yeah. you guys don't like us anymore. We're taking it personally. So make sure that you get that corrected. Yeah, so for, for some reason, that's a good thing to get ratings and reviews. So uh, if you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Also, uh, if uh, you're listening and you uh, have the desire to advertise on the podcast, hit us up at sticktohockeybiz, B-I-Z, at gmail.com. You can send us an email right there. Uh, we'll get it. We'll, call, we'll hit, find a time and we can talk and uh, break bread and see if we can do something something um also we're gonna have some more fantasy stuff coming up we got to get uh, pete jensen back on if you remember i don't know if you've been tracking this everything pete said has been like pretty dead on yeah. he's been like 85 90 accurate here so I'm, I'm impressed we definitely have to get pete back yeah also follow us on twitter at stick to hockey uh pod on Twitter. Uh, you can always send your questions and stuff into there as well. And we're going to do an all-questions episode uh, from the audience coming up as well. Also, um, I put out the tweet that uh, getting a bunch of the different podcasters and hockey people together for the big roundtable. We're working on a location. Um, it's going to be sometime in January. We're thinking about doing it when... Uh, there's a Flyers away game, and we can turn it into an away game watch party after. Um, so we're working on a location, a date, and all that stuff, and we'll certainly update people on that and keep an eye on the Twitter handle. Uh, we'll be updating it there as well. But today, Joe, um, I thought it would be a good idea at this point as we wind down 2017 to look at maybe the top five positional rankings around the NHL. Now, of course, the key positions, the centers, wingers, defensemen, and goaltenders. So I put together my list— of, and now this is just 2017, so far this season. We, I'm trying, I tried not to consider career what people have accomplished, but that does lend itself to a pedigree of a player. Um, so I put together my top five for each category, and I know you got yours as well, and we'll certainly debate some of these. So let's roll into it. Uh, by the way, coming up also, we're going to talk with uh, Patrick O'Sullivan um, from NHL Network Radio, does the power play with Scott Lachlan. He was kind enough uh, to give us some time for an interview. We'll talk to Patrick about everything going on around the NHL, from what's happening in Ottawa to Edmonton to some of their more positive stories like Vegas and obviously uh, Nashville as well. And we'll also talk about uh, his story with his book. And if you haven't uh, heard his story, you're going to definitely want to hear that interview. It's really compelling. Um, but we'll get to that. So let's get right into the top five rankings. And, and just to be clear, you're not talking calendar year, right? So last no. Last year's playoffs don't count. This no. is 2017-2018 season. Yeah, this right. is basically okay. anywhere from 30 to 35 games for some of these players. Got it. Um, and this is how I ranked them for this current season to this date. Uh, so you want to start at the centers. My number one center right now in the NHL, and I believe I predicted this on the Bull Prediction Show, is Steven Stamkos. He's leading the highest-powered offense on the best team in the NHL. He's having a monster bounce-back season, and he's been awesome. Steven Stamkos with Kucherov has been an incredible line. He's doing it all. He's scoring. 
He's he's assisting on a ton of goals. I got Stamkos at the top. Where do you got? Stamkos needed to have the big bounce back season. I do have him in the top two. I do not have him number one because of the Nikita Kucherov factor as he's taken a major step forward. Sometimes we do ding centers or wingers for the play of their line mates or whatever, understanding that, yeah, sometimes you're just vulturing off of things. I'm not saying the Stamkos is doing that, but when you look at the way that Kucherov's kind of taken over the NHL this mm-hmm. year, there have been some beneficiaries here. And the uh, the guy who's number one on my list hasn't gotten as much help. I'm sure we'll get to that. All right. Uh, Steven Stamkos, by the way, 45 points, 30, I think, two assists, second in the NHL to Jake Voracek. Uh, he's getting it done. He's got my number one spot. Um, who's your number one? Is your number one? My number one is your number two. So we can just move on to that oh, if okay. you want to. So my number, yeah, my number two. And this is hard to debate because these are. This is a really good player. We just saw up close and personal from the LA Kings, Andre Kopitar. Um, I mean, what else do you say about this guy? Last year he had a tough offensive season. This year that's not the case. He's got thirty nine points. He's putting the puck in the net. He, you, I saw the other night when the Flyers played the Kings how much he controls the game. He's big. He can move. He's a leader. He's got everything you want. And he's my number two. You got him at number one? I have him at number one. A couple reasons why. Andre Kopitar is always what I think. When I think of guys, I think of, you know, who they are. In NBA comparison, right? I always thought that Russell Westbrook was Allen Iverson on steroids. If you Mm -hmm. pumped him full of the Monstar juice, this is what you'd get. I think if you take Giroux and you give him the Monstar juice, you end up with a guy like Andre Kopitar. Straight up minutes eater. He's averaging over 21 minutes a game. He plays on both special teams, power play and penalty kill. He's everything for L.A. For me, he's the Hart Trophy favorite, actually, at this point. So you take a look at what he's doing. He's my number one. Yeah, 17 goals right now, tied for six in the NHL. Um, And you're right, he plays against the top offensive unit of the opposition every night. And to be able to to put those numbers up is pretty impressive. Uh, Who was your number two? Uh, number two is Steven Stamkos. Okay, so we just kind of flip flop yep, there. Just flip there. All right, my number three pivot right now, and I, I know the numbers aren't enormous for this guy this year, but I, I in in good faith, I can't, I just can't do it. I can't put him outside the top three because he's still probably the best player on the planet, and that's Sidney Sidney Crosby. I, I mean, I can't, I just can't do it. I know he hasn't been spectacular this year. He's not even leading his team in assists or goals. Kessel's doing both. But I got to put Sidney Crosby there in the middle. Uh, I have Crosby as number five on my list. Okay. And I give him a little bit of a break, as I do with most of the Penguins. Their luck stats are ridiculous this mm. year. Their shooting yeah. percentages are way down. Their puck luck measurement. team, too, you know. They clearly are. They yeah. clearly look worn out. They just made a trade. They're going to make more, I think. But, yeah, more on reputation than what he's done this year. Crosby's still in my top five. Yeah, he's got 33 points uh, on the season so far. My number four, and his team's not performing. Well, but again, it's another one of those deals in good faith. I can't put this guy uh, not on my top five. He's got 40 points on the season. He's doing the job. Just the rest of his team looks slow. And that's got to be Connor McDavid. Yeah, McDavid, I actually have in the same spot as you do at number four because he did not necessarily follow up on the super hot start that he had at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Went a long time without scoring another goal. As a result, Edmonton kind of fell off. Now that he is producing, Edmonton's still falling off. They're they're still not really doing too much, but Connor McDavid has been as advertised pretty much. Yeah, I mean, when I'm looking for my fifth spot, I mean, there are so many guys to consider, whether it's Shifley or John Tavares, uh, who's having a good year. Tavares has got 42 points. Uh, When I look at those guys... Even Nathan McKinnon's having a really good year. He, yes, he made is. some spectacular plays. Uh, and I know he's been hurt, and, and that's certainly hurting his numbers right now. But Austin Matthews, to me, is one of those elite centers in the game right now. 
Uh, I actually gave Austin Matthews the benefit of the doubt on this list and have him all the way up at three, not because of his production, wow. but because of what Toronto's looked like when he's not been in there. Yeah. They went from a team that looked like a legitimate Eastern Conference contender to one of the guys when yeah. Austin Matthews is not in there. So to me, that kind of speaks to the impact that he makes on the game and on his team. That's yeah. why he's number three for me. All right, so there's your top five centers. My list is Stamkos, Kopitar, Crosby, McDavid, and Matthews. Yours is? Uh, Kopitar, Stamkos. Coast, Matthews, McDavid, Crosby. So same names, different order. Okay. All right, so we kind of agree there. That's close enough. Uh, let's go to the wingers now. Uh, my number one winger right now, I don't think this is debatable, it's Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, absolutely. 23 goals, leading the league in points, 48 points. It's just been absurd what he's been doing and that team's been doing. Uh, a great center, obviously, in Stamkos that we just talked about. He's got to be. I mean, right now, is he the MVP of the league? Uh, probably. I, yeah. I have him and Kopitar right there because I think Kopitar does more stuff. Yep. But in terms of generating the offense, Kucherov's the engine that makes the, the lightning go, yeah. clearly. Yeah, no doubt. And the thing about it is, is that lightning team, I just don't know that they can be stopped in the East. I don't see a big <laughs> spot where they're going to slow down unless they get injured. That's the only thing I could see slowing them down. Well, and they've always had it together, like all of the different parts at different times, where Hedman would be having a mm-hmm. down year, or they didn't get what they needed goaltending wise, or Stamkos was hurt. This seems like it's one of those charm seasons where they're going to have everything come together. I'm with you. They look like a freaking locomotive. Yeah, no, no team wants to face them. Uh, my number two uh, winger in the league right now, and look, it's hard to not consider pass, and he's hot right now, is Patrick Kane. He's got 14 goals on the year. And he's starting to get uh, some chemistry with Schmaltz. You know, he had that chemistry with Panarin. Uh, it's starting to come together with Schmaltz. But I, I got Patrick Kane number two. On the list, he is not number two. Uh-huh. I have him down at number four. But he has been getting hot recently. Kane's another guy that I ding slightly because of not necessarily the one-trick pony thing, because he is a good passer as well and things mm-hmm. like that. But he doesn't do as much stuff as some of the other guys on my list defensively and things like that. But there's no denying the talent, the hands. He's got probably the best hands in the league in terms of his moves and everything else. But Patrick Patrick Kane is right there. So who do you got at two? Uh, number two, I have uh, a guy that you have at number three is oh. Tarasenko. Vladimir, Vladimir. Tarasenko. Yep. Who, uh, when you look at scoring on a team like St. Louis... You don't get it from a ton of places. Braden Shen trade, notwithstanding, because yeah. that's been that's real, 16 goals. Yeah, yeah, that's been amazing. But Tarasenko is just a full-on sniper who demands the other team's best line every single night, mm-hmm. and he still gets it done, putting the biscuit in the basket. So Tarasenko is my number two. Yeah, my, he, I got him at three, and he is uh, he can shoot from anywhere, and the the release is ridiculous, unreal. It's just he's such a good shot, mm-hmm. and you know when. At, a goalie facing him has to have his head on that puck whenever he has it because you never know when he can fire it and he can he can pick his spots. Unbelievable. He's my number three. So who do you have? You have Kane at three? I had, I had Kane at four. Okay. Who's your three? Uh, number three is a guy who didn't make your list. Mm. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin is yeah, on. Yeah, I know he's got 23 goals. He's on an 87-point pace. I know. I, I, I In good conscience, I just can't put him there. I know that team's been surging. Uh, they're at the top of the standings in the Metro, which is the best division in hockey. And but I, I just can't get over the fact that the guy doesn't show up at the biggest time. <laughs> okay, so, but right. you know, you make a case though. I mean, he's got the numbers, and I mean, look, he's the best scorer of this generation without question. One of the best of all time. Yeah, that's fair. But I'm I'm with you. Normally, I'm in that kind of same zone as where is he in the playoffs and mm-hmm. how come he's not playing defense? He's more focused on hitting people than actually playing defense. But this year, he seems like he's putting together a pretty nice season. Okay. My number four is, uh, how about Johnny Hockey? Johnny Gaudreau coming in at number four. 
Nice. MVP caliber season he's putting together there in Calgary. He's getting it done. And it's interesting to watch all of the Canadian teams start to get things going with a youth movement and Mm -hmm. start to build things with young guys. Johnny Goudreau is one of those, and you look at his skills similar to Patrick Kane's in terms of the hands and stuff like that. Kane probably a little bit better body in terms of size and everything like that, but there's nothing that Goudreau can't do, and Calgary's needed him to do a whole yeah. lot of that this year. Yeah, and he's got 40 points. He's, he's getting it done for Calgary. He's been a big part of that. My number five uh, uh, is Brad Marchand, who continues to... I mean, he it just started a couple of years ago to really come into his own at 27 years old as an NHL player. Still really dangerous. You saw the game last week. A great pass to tie the game to Pasternak. And then the overtime winner early on in that three-on-three where it was just ridiculous backhand shelf where he outweighed uh, the goaltender and, and he shelved it backhand. Um Marshan's my number five right now. Uh, I like Marshan a lot. Did not make my list. Uh, number five, similar to uh, another player that we talked about earlier. I have Phil Kessel at number five just mm-hmm. because he is, I wouldn't call the Penguins a float at this point, but yeah. if they are a float, he's the only reason why in terms of point production, things like that. Leads the team in assists, leads the team in goals, is doing everything for the Penguins. So he uh, is another guy who, if you forget about him, his release, he's changing out sticks now to oh, take one-timers yeah. and all other kind of nonsense. So Phil Kessel has got it going on. I don't know if he's going to be a trade target for a team in the the near future here. But uh, any any team that's at the top, I'm thinking about like Vegas and some of these other teams that need a gun, they might think about Kessel. Yeah, and, and it's amazing because you look at that Pittsburgh team, he's got 38 points. And you say, well, they're a tired team. The one guy you would think would be the most tired and unfit would be Phil Kessel. Yeah, the one who never misses a game, by the way. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he, he's got like some kind of crazy DNA or something. Because when you see him off the ice, out of uniform, I mean, even in uniform, he is as unimpressive a physical specimen as you'll see in the league. I mean, he's dumpy. It looks like he just rolled out of a fraternity party from a weekend bender. And but the guy just the skills are off the charts. Seriously, though, Phil, Phil, we love you. Come on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Totally. <laughs> uh, okay, NHL defenseman. Let's go our top five here. Uh, my top five. I'm going to start right at the top with Drew Doughty. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's playing really well, especially some of the other guys on this list. I'm, I'm impressed with your list, generally speaking. Doughty's really far ahead of a lot of guys on this list because he and Kopitar have been the biggest reason, outside of Jonathan Quick, that the Kings have had such a big turnaround this year. He really just controls, drives offense, yep. responsibility defensively. He's all over it. Yeah, and he's, got, he's 18, uh, a plus 18 right now on the season. And I didn't expect the Kings to be this good this year. And that's a team that's totally built for the playoffs. And mind you, they're doing it without Jeff Carter. So that's a team to look out for, for sure. And Dowdy's definitely my top uh, guy. My, my number two is Victor Hedman. Um, he's unreal. Yeah, uh, I'll take Victor Hedman any day of the week. And obviously the team is very good, um, but he is he's right there in the in the NARS conversation. To skate the way that he does at oh. his size is just unbelievable. The, the reach reminds you, he's not quite in Chara's range in terms mm-hmm. of, but he's right there. And, and not only that, he's a much better skater than you would think a guy of his size would be. He's got the rocket shot. Great vision. Unbelievable. Yeah, he, he can really lead an outlet pass, breakouts, things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, he, he's he got it all going on. Uh, my number three, how about Seth Jones? Mm. Now this guy, he, he's going to win an Norris real soon as well. He is a fantastic player. He's, a, he's a kind of understated in a lot of ways, but he is as solid as they come. That's a great pickup that Columbus when they were able to get him for Johansson, but uh, unbelievable player. I got him as a top three right now. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little uh, 
upset that I didn't think of Seth Jones here for my top five, but I do have a guy that gets a little bit undersold uh, in John Klingberg. Yeah. Uh, 24 assists, leads the league in terms of defensemen among assists. Uh, doesn't get a whole lot of attention because you're never talking about the defense in Dallas. It's yeah. never a big deal. Klingberg's been solid. Uh, he's he's actually my number three on this list. I did not even have Seth Jones on my list. That's probably an oversight on my list. Yeah, well, no, Klingberg's a really good player, too. You're right. Uh, number four, and he's just starting to heat up now. Had a couple of goals against Minnesota recently. Uh, the team he scored his first NHL goal against, by the way. Eric Carlson. I know the Senators have been a mess, and he made a huge misstep in saying what he said when he said it about getting Pitt not going to give a hometown discount basically in Ottawa. You don't do that during a losing streak. Uh, he's been playing on half a foot. He had the surgery, had no training camp, but still come in. And this is a guy that, I mean, he's an absolute game changer. You have to game plan for Eric Carlson. So he's number four right now on my list. Uh, you still do. Uh, judging just based on this season, though, I did not put him in my top five. I did think it was interesting, though, that he and Drew Doughty have said that they're going to talk to each other about the plans. They share an the agent, too, by the way. Yeah, so one thing you think, okay, well, they're just going to figure out what the contract should be based on what the other one's getting. Or or is there a team up in the works? That would be an absolutely terrifying oh. blue line. Oh my goodness! Could you imagine? <laughs> That's like when Parisi and Suter decided yep. to both go to Minnesota together. Yeah, that'd be terrible for the rest of the league. Well, it'd be interesting because they would both be hitting the free agent market together, and it would be uh, a bonanza with a rising cap mm-hmm. to have a Drew Doughty, a franchise cornerstone defenseman, and Eric Carlson both on the market in the same free agent season. It would be incredible. And the money that they're going to get, I mean, they're better off waiting because basically the way you, you come up with that top line pay for as much as you can pay a player is a percentage of the cap, like 16.5% of the cap. Sure. Uh, that cap keeps rising. You're going to wait to the last moment to sign that contract. You're not going to do it the year early. So we'll see how it plays out. That's just good business. Uh, yeah. My number four is actually the guy who's number five on your list. So go uh, ahead and Zach take that yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I wasn't sure that he would be able to kind of duplicate what he did last year. You know, we saw that with Aaron Eckblad. You know, sometimes defensemen uh, take a little bit of a step back in, after a good rookie season. He has not. Uh, Zach Wierenski is totally legit. Uh, love the way he plays, and Columbus has two great ones in him and uh, Seth Jones together. I've been impressed watching Wierenski in particular because Columbus hasn't really taken the big step forward that a lot of people did predict that they would take, so I want to see what he looks like on a team that's not dominating everybody like Columbus was for most of last season, uh, and he's really held up, so he's right yeah. there. He's my number four guy. All right, let's get to the goalies. Uh, hold on. I, oh, I, you got a five. oh, that's your number four. Who's your five? Uh, my number five guy is uh, John Carlson. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been surprised by Carlson a little bit. Good player. Uh, me too. He's been putting together points in bunches. He's got 26 points in 35 games. I mean, that kind of production from a defenseman is really unheard of, uh, especially considering the slow start that the Capitals had to begin with. Yeah. So Carlson rounds out my top five. All right. Let's get to the most important position in sports. Absolutely. Yes, more so people than the quarterback in football. It is the top five goalies so far this season. And I can't believe this, but the guy that I have at number one, yes, is Corey Crawford. And how can I deny it? He has been unbelievable this year. I mean, this is a guy that constantly uh, doesn't get the credit that he deserves. He's got a 9.35 save percentage. Um, when he's in the lineup for that team, he gives him a chance every night. So far for me, he is the best goalie this season in the NHL. Maybe not as spectacular as some of the other ones. But night in and night out, he's the guy. I am the Corey Crawford naysayer. I am I am that guy. Yeah. 
I don't have anything to say. I mean, yeah, you just, look at those numbers. Yeah, you can't deny it. Nothing. To, and I have seen you know him go through hot streaks and cold streaks. This might just be one of those hot streaks, but there's absolutely nothing that you can say that takes away from from what he's done. I do not have him number one. I have uh, the guy who you have as number two is number one, but oh. Crawford is is definitely in my top three begrudgingly and despite all of my I, I don't dislike him personally or anything like that. I don't have a bias. I've just never been a big Corey Crawford fan. He's making fans out of a lot of people this yeah, year. Yeah, he's getting it done. John Gibson's my number two. You have a number one. Uh, John Gibson, Pittsburgh boy, right? Yes. Um, with the Anaheim Ducks, that team was so banged up in the beginning of the year, uh, he kept them afloat. He gave <laughs> them a chance almost every night. 920 save percentage. He makes spectacular saves. Unorthodox. Just a total gamer. Um, he's not one of the b- biggest names in net around the NHL, but he's becoming that. Um, he's got my number two. He's been awesome. The, the rumblings in Anaheim for a long time, because John Gibson's actually been around for a little while, even though he's a young guy. They've had him, and, and they were talk about you know he's not developing at the speed that they'd want him to and everything like that. He was one of the most called-after, under-the-radar guys that existed yeah. in the trades and things like that. And Anaheim just stood pat and said, no, we're not going to move. We, we believe in John and everything else. Their faith is being rewarded. He's my number one guy this year. All right. My number three is Andre Vasilevsky. Ah, he's my number two guy. Yeah. he's. He, I mean, look, he's winning games at an alarming clip. He's got a great team in front of him. Uh, he's taken the crease, though. Uh, he, he prepared to be a number one starter, a number one guy that's going to carry the load in Tampa after they traded Ben Bishop, and he seized the opportunity. He is Incredible, his lateral movement and athleticism is incredible. Uh, he's got my number three spot, spot right now. You never know what you're going to get with a guy like Vasilevsky, who had limited experience, limited numbers of games, playing behind a guy like Ben Bishop on a good team. So I could have seen this going sideways for the Lightning yeah. really quickly. It did not. Vasilevsky's. And how often have we seen Jay the teams that go high scoring get into these races and stuff mm-hmm. and track meets, and you end up winning all your games five four. Your goalie looks terrible. Vasilevsky. He has not had that been the case at all, despite the Lightning giving up a fair number of shots. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And he's just he's been sensational. Number four on this list, and at one point I would have had him number one, uh, but he's been skidding of late. He's got a three six two five goals against average in December. Gave up a big one the other night, too. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky's my number four right now. Not on my list, but mm. I, I'm, I'm with you in terms of the hot start. You, you have it here on your notes here, and th- this is the thing for me. His December has been just horrendous. Yeah, not good. Really bad. Almost almost four goals a game, 3.625 uh, goals against. He actually gets subbed out for a guy who's not on your list. Pecorine. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm defending Pecorine to you literally constantly. And, and I like Pecorine, but the problem is, is I mean, right now he's got a 9.27 goals against that, or save percentage, and, yep. he, and he is a guy on a really good team, too. I mean, that Predator team is really good. Yep. But I, I just... I, I don't know. Maybe he's just getting up there for me. But he is still getting the job done. He did give up five goals last time out. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you that. But he's still 18-5-3 this year. You mentioned Nashville is really good. But there have been times that Rene has been asked to do a lot. And he's my number four guy. Yeah, and that's a team that um, you know, will give up some shots and, and some opportunities. And he's bailed them out a few times. All right, how about number five for me? And i got to go with my boy. Jonathan Quick. <laughs> um, I saw him the other night in person. It's one of the great nights of the year when I get to watch Jonathan Quick uh, at ice level, right on the glass, on the goal line. And I saw him making saves just like he did a couple of years ago in the cup run years. Uh, I was afraid this guy wasn't going to be able to bounce back. 
Um, he's 31 years old or 32 years old now, but he's getting the job done once again. Jonathan Quick, an elite goaler, 927 save percentage, and he is leading the Kings, and he's a big reason for that turnaround. I was starting to think I was too high on the Kings because I'm putting together these lists, and I'm like, ah, I've got a lot of Kings on there. Jonathan Quick's on my list, too. He's yeah. number five there. Uh, I think that every everything that you said absolutely sums things up. I don't know how Jonathan Quick gets things done in net. It's not the way that it's I unorthodox. play or anything like that, but he, he's undeniably effective. And like I said, along with the other two that we talked about, Dowdy and Kopitar, has the Kings going in the right direction. Yeah, well, there it is. There's our top five goalies. Corey Crawford, John Gibson, Vasilevsky, Bobrovsky, and Quick for me. Uh, the defensemen, Drew Doughty, Hedman, Seth Jones, Eric Carlson, Zach Wierenski. The top five wingers, Kucherov, Kane, Tarasenko, Goudreau, Marchand, and Stamkos, Kopitar, Crosby, McDavid, and Matthews as the top five centers. Let's get to Patrick O'Sullivan, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, joining us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast, uh, very happy to have this gentleman along. He does uh, NHL Network Radio, the power play with Scott Lachlan, afternoons, uh, former NHL player and uh, all-around good guy. Uh, Patrick O'Sullivan joins us on the podcast. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? Thanks well, for having me. Uh, no problem. Hey, there's a lot to get into right now because we're at an interesting point in the season. Most teams in that 32 to 34 game uh, point in the season. And obviously, well, one of the biggest stories is, is a team in Las Vegas right now who's making it very difficult on uh, uh, their opposition, especially in their home building. Uh, the Vegas situation, is that the biggest and probably uh, most uh, uh, fun story to kind of uh, look at so far throughout this uh, first part of the season? I would say so. I mean, it's certainly the most surprising. I think most people thought that that team was going to be decent. You know, if you, you look at some of the players that they were able to pick up, um, you know, a, a lot of them were, were pretty decent and had significant roles on their other teams. They just weren't weren't superstars. I mean, the superstars weren't going to be made available in the, the expansion draft process. So, um yeah, I mean, it, it's surprising, but the one thing for sure I, I think you can look at when it comes to their success is uh, a lot of guys on that team were, you know, good players who are now playing a bigger role with expanded ice time, and I feel like most guys on that team kind of have something to prove, and it, it's been real noticeable, especially with their top guys. Each time they've played their previous team, um, they've all had a good night. So I think there's some unpredictability involved in, in playing that team for the first time, especially in their building. And that's been a huge part of the success. I think Galant's been a really good coach for them. Uh, they're very structured. Five on five, when I watch that team play, um, you know, they make very few mistakes. Uh, they're one of the better teams at, uh, you know, pressuring the puck and creating turnovers and, uh, the, the way that they play, it, it's kind of the same thing, line after line after line. So, you know, they, they've been impressive. The one thing I think to, to watch moving forward, though, is the second, third time around that uh, a team gets to play these guys, that newness is now gone, uh, and you kind of know what to expect. So I, I personally don't think they'll continue to, to play at the level they're currently playing at. I mean, they're a top three team in the league as of today. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't expect that to continue, but I do think they're a playoff team, and they've put themselves in such a good spot. Uh, they'd have to really struggle not to make the playoffs at this point. Yeah, and their home record is 13-2-1. and It's it's staggering. They're really giving a good show uh, for the new fans out there in Vegas. Uh, Going to put that GM in a tough spot because he was all about assets. Uh, how does George McPhee handle this when you get closer to this trade deadline? That's a really good question, yeah. I mean, there's no way they thought they'd be where they are. 
at this point, uh, much like everybody else. So I think the plan has probably been altered a little bit. I mean, look, if you're this good and you're going to get into the playoffs, um, there's no point in, in not taking a run at it. So I don't think they'll unload everybody, but, um, you know, I, I think if you look at the age range, some of, some of the players they have, the guys they're going to hang on to are, you know, Riley Smith, March so William Carlson, the guys kind of still in their mid-20s. If you look at James Neal, he's 30 years old. Uh, that's the one guy I think they'll probably still unload, just like they were probably planning on doing coming into the season. Um, but other than that, I, I think they, they keep what they have. And, you know, there's there's decisions to be made, I guess, come trade deadline. But for the most part, I think they, they keep rolling. And yeah. it'd, be pre- it'd be pretty tough to, to get rid of three, four, five guys uh, when you're in the spot that they're in and probably going to be in a playoff spot come the trade deadline. That's not... And, uh, you know, the easiest thing to do to your fans, especially with how much, uh, you know, you know how much success they've had at home and how much the fans have embraced that team and just um, the whole feel that they have for everything that's been going on. So it is a tough spot for, for George McPhee, but they may, they may get rid of a couple guys, but, but I think the plan has been changed. And it's understandable when you win as much as they have, that has to alter your decision-making a little bit. And long-term, if you look at the draft picks they have, Especially, um, you know, in the, the 2019 draft, uh, they're, they've got multiple picks in every round. And uh, it, if you hang on to one or two guys maybe you weren't planning on hanging on to, it, that's, it's not really going to throw your, your, your plan off long term. And also, too, you know, the other thing people need to realize with this team is a lot of these guys that are on the team were coming into this year trying to prove uh, – something as far as trying to get a contract and I think a lot of them have done that. Some of those guys are key pieces that are going to get signed and extended three, four year deals, whatever it may be. So that's the other thing too. If that didn't happen then you could unload I think more of them but some of them have come forward and really kind of proven that they're able to play an expanded role at this level and I think if you're George McPhee, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, it certainly gives him a good foundation. Conversely, in that uh, same Pacific Division where the Kings lead right now, you look at the bottom of the division. If, if, you know, Vegas right at the top there, two points behind the Kings. But you look all the way at the bottom and just ahead of Arizona with 32 points is the Edmonton Oilers. This club uh, has looked remarkably different than they did a year ago, and they came in with some lofty expectations. Uh, they're running out of runway here. Do they got to get something fixed, or, is, or can you pretty much say this is a team that is really up against it and not going to be able to make the playoffs because you can't just flip that switch. No, you, you can't. I mean, they, they need to start going now. And truthfully, they have. They've, I think they've won four of their last five games. Uh, so, so they're starting to look like the team we all thought they would be. But the question is, is, is the hole too big? I mean, they're going to have to play you know 700-plus winning percentage hockey from here in just to give themselves a chance. And that's, that's really hard to do. If, if you look at you know, like a lot of coaches in this league look at five, ten game segments, and obviously you're going to need to win seven out of ten in each ten game segment moving forward. And if you don't, if you have a six out of ten segment, well, guess what? That next one's going to have to be eight or nine out of ten. And it's just, it's really hard to do. The numbers are not in their favor uh, to, to pull it off. I think the when you have a player like McDavid, who, in my opinion, is, is the second best player in the world. Um, you're, you're going to win games maybe you don't deserve. The goaltending hasn't been what it was before. Cam Talbot looks like he's playing better now, so that's another factor. You know, 
if you're if someone was to ask me what I think is going to happen with that team, I, I think they're going to they're going to have a real a real good push, and it's going to be close. And I just think it, it's probably not going to be enough with with some of the teams that are ahead of them. And that's the problem too is the the number of teams that are ahead of them. It's really hard to leapfrog that many teams because they're just not enough of them are going to struggle to the point where you can pass them. So. Um, It'll be interesting, but again, maybe the one saving grace, much like in the East with the Atlantic Division being significantly weaker than the Metro, is that Pacific Division, if you could somehow weasel into that third spot, that, that might be easier and uh, re- require less points than, than one of the wild cards. So that may be the one thing they have going for them. Yeah, and then certainly that West is stacked with some uh, with some teams. Uh, look out for a team like the Ducks when they get fully healthy, and the Kings are a team that looks like they're built for the playoffs. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference, Patrick, have uh, uh, gotten off the gangbuster start, a healthy Steven Stamkos, and we know about Kucherov and, and the weapons that they have. Right now, They, the, you know, obviously you're the odds-on favorite for the Cup, but can they sustain? this, continue to get the goaltending and the all-around play that they've gotten for their players uh, to really make it uh, a foregone conclusion that they're going to be the team to beat, not only in the league, but certainly the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I don't see anything uh, in their game that that says, you know, we're going to have uh, a, a drop-off or a dip in play for any extended amount of time. I think they're the clear-cut best team in the East. Um, it's It's hard to to me, it's hard to measure against the, the teams in the West, especially you know moving forward here. All these teams haven't played many in, many games in their own division or conference yet. It's all been cross-conference stuff, and you get that out of the way in the, the first um, two-thirds the half of the season, and then you get to play the real games where you really have a, a measuring stick because you're playing the same team multiple times. And uh, just with, with Tampa, though, I, I don't I don't see anything in their game that looks like it's something they're not going to be able to, to keep holding up. And, and the one thing that stands out with, with me for them is how good they are defensively. Top five team in the league, goals against. Uh, Vasilevsky's become, you know, in my mind, a Vesna candidate. And they, they're really, they're well-structured. And, and the team like that who's so skilled can have, uh, you know, they can have tendencies at times to, to fall asleep and to count on their goal scoring. But, it really hasn't happened all that much. The game recently they played against Colorado where they, uh, they're they up 5-1 in the game. They end up winning at 6-5 uh, would be really the only case I can think of this year where they didn't consistently play um, defensively the right way because they were up so much. So I think they're a good team. They have, in my mind, the deepest forward group. Their, their top nine is, is, is really deep. And, you know, I, I think, too, Steve Eisenman is going to try to add a defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they and if they do that, uh, I think a lot of teams are in trouble because they have no holes. Yeah, no question. And they're just playing so well right now, too, and well coached. Uh, you mentioned the Metropolitan Division, and it is a tight division right now. Uh, the top team is in the division, 43 points with the Devils and the Caps. Uh, the bottom of the division is Carolina and the Flyers with 35, eight points separating the seller from the uh, penthouse here. Uh, this division, do, do you see a lot of movement in here? Because you got a Pittsburgh Penguin team right now, just 37 points on the season, 17, 15, and 3. They played in back-to-back cups, won them both. They're probably a little tired, and, and they've also suffered some attrition at the center position in their third and fourth lines with Benino and Cullen. Uh, this team, do they need to make a deal, and do they have what it takes to get another push in them uh, to make another run at a, a, a third cup in a row, which would be remarkable in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, uh, 
they're hurting a little bit right now. I, I think they're tired. I think mentally, um, it's got to be tough to wrap your head around, you know, what's gone on for them the last couple of years. Like as a former player, I can't imagine being in that situation where, you know, you've just won twice in a row. Nobody's done that in the cap era. Uh, you know, nobody's done it in, in almost 20 years. So, you know, what are you even going to compare this situation to? It's it's really it's really tough. It's really tough to to, to try to figure out and, and piece together and try to think about it, what it's like for those players. So, I, I think they're they're going to have to mix it up. You're going to have to bring in a couple guys who haven't won before. I think that's the one thing that that Rutherford knows and has kind of commented on publicly already. But um, is is that going to be enough? I don't know. I, I think you know all those guys are human, as good as they are. Uh, they are human, and to, to not have a little bit of a letdown after what they've accomplished mentally, for sure, uh, I think you'd be crazy not to believe that. So, I don't know. They, they don't look anything like the team that, that we've seen, certainly in the last couple of playoffs. But, you know, are they good enough to hang around and get in the playoffs? I think so, and that's a problem. Once, once the playoffs start, um, it's a different story. But like you said, in, the, in that division, it's crazy. I mean, the, the, I, I believe the team in – Last in that division, Philly, Carolina are both. Uh, well, Philly's. I think what are they? Only two games over five hundred now. Yeah. Um, but you know, Carolina three games over five hundred, and Philly going into last night before Philly loses to LA. So, like, if that's the case, if the worst team in their division is three games over five hundred, uh, clearly the division is very strong. And what's going to separate teams in that division is all those games where you're playing teams from your division where if you're below them, you have to win them and, and, and try to bypass teams and then, of course, keep them down below you. You look at what Philly has done, you know, the, the, the 10 straight losses, five of them in overtime, and then they rip off six wins, and they really didn't move much Yeah. in, in the standing. So, I mean, you're a Philly guy. A lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are, are in that area, and it's, it's really tough to, to move anywhere in this league, especially if, you had a stretch where you got five out of 20 possible points. The good teams in this league, what they do is they don't let their two or three game losing streaks turn into anything more than that. And if they have a stretch where they only win two out of five games, they make sure a couple of those losses are in overtime. And then they get back on the horse and they win. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is you can't really win more than six or seven in a row. That's been the longest streak of any team this year. So, it's it, you know, because of the schedule, there, there's so many games. You're going to have a lot of nights, even the top teams, where you just don't have it. And that's kind of accepted. Coaches understand it. Players certainly do. Um, so, you know, you're going to have your five to ten of those for every team. And it's really what you do with the rest of those games. And make sure your, your losing streaks are short and you get into the playoffs. If you can't do that, uh, and, of course, stay healthy, if you can't do that, then it's, it's real tough in this league to make up any ground and to make the playoffs. Uh, have you been surprised at all with uh, the effectiveness of Giroux moving to the wing? Uh, you, get, you know, they changed that line around. They put Sean Couturier in the middle. Uh, Jake Voracek started the season, obviously, with that top line until just a couple weeks ago. And uh, now Wayne Simmons with that line. But Giroux moving to the wing and has really revitalized his career. He had a, uh, four years in a row where his numbers were uh, descending. And now uh, he's on a pace right now to have a, a really big bounce-back year statistically and certainly to the eye test as well. He's playing really good hockey. Uh, just moving to the wing, how much did that affect uh, his to play and uh, and help him out in this regard. Well, it's it's, uh, it's really interesting to me. I, I got to be honest. I didn't think it was necessarily going to work, uh, simply because you know the, the centermen 
has so much responsibility, and it's great if you got two really good wingers, but if your centerman can't get them the puck, if your centerman can't transport the, the puck up the ice, through, especially through the neutral zone, and then be able to, uh, you know, to, to give it one way or the other to his wingers, you know, your, your line isn't going to be able to do much. So to me, as good as Giroux's been on the wing, and I think him playing in, you know, for Team Canada in the various events probably helped him be comfortable with that position and, and be able to make the adjustments you have to make. But but wing is much easier to play in the NHL than center is. So I think the key in all this is Couturier. Um, from my understanding, you know, he, he went to management and coaches last year after the season and said, I want to have a bigger role. And they told him, you know, you're going to have to prove it. You're going to have to kind of earn that. And he did. He came to camp in really good shape. And he's been able to show his ability to, to play offensively. So that, that's been huge. And I think for Giroux, you get to your late 20s, you play as much hockey as he's played, and almost any other guy for the most part, uh, it's going to wear you down a little bit. And, and having to play uh, in your own zone down low every night uh, as a smaller player, it can wear on you. And then, you know, how much do you really have to, to be offensive? So I, I like Drew on the wing. You can cheat a little bit more as a winger. and I yeah, You can fly the zone a little bit, right? Sure, for sure. And you, you, can, you, know, you don't have to skate back as hard. As often, you can you can poach a little bit. You can kind of read if there's going to be a turnover and take off. Uh, the, the best guy in the league at doing that is Patrick Kane. So, um, you know, it, it's I played wing for the most part in my career, and and when I had to play center, it, it was a lot more stressful because you constantly have to support your defenseman. You got to be below the puck uh, in all three zones. You cannot cheat, and then of course. You know, with some of the matchups that you're going to have in that division, you're playing against really good centermen. So I think it's worked really well. I, I do like Vorchek on that second line. He's somehow been able to get Raffle to play hockey again. Um, that guy's got all the tools, and he can't seem to put it together uh, consistently. You know, as you guys know in Philly, he, what did he go, 40 plus games without a goal? Yeah, 43, and then he has three uh, game winning goals in a row. <laughs> it's, right. it's amazing. So, it's crazy watching him play. He can skate. He can shoot. He knows where to go. And for that to for that to happen is is mind boggling. But obviously, you put an elite player like Borchak on that line with him. He's going to get the puck enough. And, and if he continues to skate and shoot, he might have a, a decent second line there. And that is a, a big time difference maker. I personally think Philly hung on too long to that top line. You got to make that change a little bit earlier, uh, especially if you haven't won in in five games. At that point, you pull the trigger. But uh, at least they have they've done it now. I really like you know the defense Philly has. All those young guys have, have really come a long way. And believe it or not, that ten game stretch where you don't win, if you can come out of it on the other side the way that they have, that will go a long way for confidence. And I know the the fans in Philadelphia want a playoff team. They expect better, and and as they should. But if you really look at what's going on there, I think it's somewhat of a a rebuild on the fly. And in a year or two. You know, that team, in my opinion, could be one that wins their division and is expected uh, to do something in the playoffs. They do need to figure out the goaltending, though. And, and I know they have young guys. Tommy Carter Hart could be a legitimate guy. But as you know, like it's been 40 years since they've had a legitimate number one goalie that you can count on. And, you know, look around the league at the top teams. 
and the teams that win the cup, you cannot do it without goaltending. So yeah. they have to figure that out too. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Uh, let me ask you about this, Patrick. TSN just put out a list uh, uh, last week in, uh, for the centennial of the top five. Well, they did the top 25 players in the history of the game. I just want to get you on the top five. Their list of the top five was Gretzky, Orr, Gordie Howe, Mario Lemieux, and Maurice the Rocket Richard. How do you rank your top five guys of all time uh, in this game? And I know it's hard to compare eras and uh, you know league-adjusted scoring and all that stuff, but how would you rank your top five of all time? Yeah, it's a good question, and it is. It's uh, I think it's uh, impossible to compare eras. I think you have to compare guys to what they did against their own era. Um, but that being said, too, like you know, if I'm going to look at a guy right now play, and you're going to tell me that a guy in the '50s was actually a better hockey player, I also have a hard time with that too. Yeah, and it's no fault, it's no fault of their own for anybody who's played back then, but. Um, and I'm sure a lot of them would be close to being the same as they are now if you had the equal technology and training and nutrition and all that other garbage that goes into it these days. So, um, but at the end of the day, if you, if you gotta if you gotta make a list, you gotta make your picks and all you gotta take all that stuff into consideration. So for me, um, I'd go Gretzky, Lemieux, Lidstrom, um, Bobby Orr, and Crosby. Those would be my top five. Yeah, yeah. You have Crosby in the top five. I do as well because yeah. I, I don't see this guy lose battles on the on the wall ever. Um, he's elevated his game on the biggest stages at every level, international, obviously on the biggest stages in the NHL, uh, winning cups. Uh, I just don't see how. Uh, I, know, I know the numbers aren't as mind blowing because of the era, uh, but, but what this guy's been able to do in his era, which has been very difficult to do, is is just mind boggling. Yeah, I agree. If you look at era justice scoring too, I still believe he's in the top five mm-hmm. of all time, which is which is crazy. There's nobody even close, um, you know, as far as points go since he came into the league. So, yeah, I mean, everything you said is true. The, the guy battles. He's a complete player, uh, and he just he, he knows how to win, and he knows how to raise his game when it comes time to to play games that matter in the playoffs. And I just think he's he's really unique. Um, he, he's almost uh, as skilled as he is. He's almost he plays the game with more of a grinding mindset. And there's not not many guys that are able to do that. I, I think the closest comparison player to him, uh, one guy who unfortunately had a shorter career than he than he would have wanted, is Peter Forsberg. The way that he played the game. Um, I know Forsberg is a bigger guy, but they both. Did not, you know, they don't shy away from any puck battles. They're the two best players of all time, in my opinion, at protecting the puck down below the goal line and still being able to make a play. You watch the NHL on a nightly basis. There's tons of guys that can protect the puck and hang on to it, but they don't do anything. They're mm-hmm. just killing the clock. And, you know, I, I and, and maybe this is a little biased on my part because Sid's only a couple of years younger than me and I've played against him since, since I was 10 years old. So, I, you know, I just, I know how good he is firsthand, but. He's really impressive, and I honestly think Nick Lipstrom is, you know, it's hard to say Bob Yours is the best defenseman of all time, but uh, what Nick Lipstrom was able to do will, as far as defending on top of all the points he put up, uh, being able to defend without really ever throwing a body check, especially for the first half of his career in that era he played in, I have a really, really hard time at uh, not having him in my top five, so... You know, that, that would be my list, and, and I think most people's may be slightly different, but 
Um, you know, certainly having there's I have no reservations about having Crosby and Lindstrom in my top five all time. Yeah, uh, as a player, I love guy, asking guys who played in the league this question. Uh, when you were a player and, and you're going through your schedule of the 82 games and. There's always one game where you look up and go, oh, my God, I hate playing against this guy. He's a pain in my rear end for whatever reason. Who was the guy that you hated playing against? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, all the people in Philly are like this. I, I couldn't stand playing against Chris Pronger. Um, he was, you know, just, first of all, super smart. Like, he could move the puck really well, always in the right spot. But he was just really hard to play against. Every time you touched the puck and he was, he was near you, you were going to have to pay a price. You needed to know where he was on the ice at all times. First half of my career, uh, he was in Anaheim and I was in L.A. And, and back then, you know, you remember the old division setup. You'd play, this, play the teams in your division like eight, ten times. So just a lot of matchups. And that 06 team in Anaheim that, that won the Cup, um, or 07 team, sorry, they were – they were unbelievable. And, you know, they had Niedermeyer and Fogger and a couple of older players. And this was year two of transitioning out of the 04 lockout. So, you know, they were, you know, they were, uh, let's just say they had their own set of rules that a lot of other guys didn't have. Yeah. So, you know, the rest, the rest gave those guys the benefit of the doubt with a lot of stuff, the slashing and, um, you know, the, the holding and things like that. So, and I, I frankly, I kind of like that. Like, if you play that long and you're that good of a player, I feel like you deserve uh, the benefit of the doubt in in certain situations. And those guys took uh, full advantage of it. Yeah, and he was a mean player as well. Uh, he played with that edge, no question about it. Uh, Patrick, let me ask you about the, the book Breaking Away uh, you put out a few years ago. Uh, how's the book done for you? I, I know it was uh, uh, a labor for you that uh, you got your story out there, and it's an incredible read. I had a chance to check it out. It's called Breaking Away, A Harrowing True Story of Resilience, Courage, and Triumph. Um, how, how does it feel to have the story out there and have people respond to it the way they have? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, I didn't know what to expect when I put it out. Um, I just... You know, I got to the point in my life where I felt like I had this story uh, that needed to be shared because I felt like it could help other people. And, and specifically, at the time, I thought it was going to be kids, kids who were currently playing, kids who had parents that, um, you know, were not someone like my dad because you're never going to get through to those people that are that crazy and off the deep end. But I think there's a lot of people that push their kids a little bit too hard, but you know, if you maybe read something or come across a story, you could kind of self-assess, take a look in the mirror, and dial it back a bit. And you're gonna, what you're gonna do is you're gonna save your relationship with your kid uh, long term. Because I know lots of people that um, that went through things growing up in regards to sports, and it's not just hockey; it's anything, uh, even school and music and anything that you compete in. Parents, you know, that that they push their kids too far, and it put a strain on their relationship. And that hasn't, you know, that hasn't gone away to this day. So now these people are adults, and most of them never really did anything with that, whatever it was they were doing as a child. And now this relationship is strained for the rest of their lives because of how their parents handled them. So, um, and you know, for me, I was seriously abused as a kid, but it doesn't have to be that bad, I guess, to have the, the long-term impact that's both harmful to, you know, the kid as a kid, but also as an adult, and more so as an adult, and that's what I didn't really realize coming into this. And so many people, after you know, after they had read my book, contact me, um, 
as adults and and to confront things that you went through as a kid as an adult you know for the first time is not easy but uh you know a lot of people are in that situation too where you, you know you you just bury stuff and you try to ignore it but uh it's always there and affects you and in a way it's a lifelong sentence so uh I, you know i guess long story short uh i feel like not a lot of people end up you know getting to the point where i got with hockey if they had experienced the things i had experienced as a kid so a lot of these kids they don't have a voice as a kid but then they're older like if i was a plumber or a garbage man or a lawyer or whatever nobody's reading my book because nobody cares but because i played in the nhl people think it's interesting oh this guy played in the nhl and he had this story so that was my whole thing with it i really didn't want to write a book i didn't really you know I, i didn't need to do it for myself i had done years of therapy and i was i was doing just fine so the book was just something i think that that i felt like i had to do um and it it you know not not expecting this to happen but it's really it really helped me a lot too uh, yeah very therapeutic for you i imagine yeah yeah it's just it a lot of different things um came about because of it and you know it's done really well i do a lot of public speaking stuff uh you know talking to uh different you know, organizations that work with kids that have been abused. And I try to talk to, to you know, minor hockey teams and uh, people that run sports sports organizations because I think there's a lot of parents out there that that really overrate their own importance when it comes to what their kids are doing. Uh, like, Sidney Crosby is not in the NHL because of anything his dad did. Of course, you know, kids need supportive parents. They need parents that can afford to have their kid in organized sports and also the transportation but outside of that it's it's about the kid because you know there's nobody that's elite at anything that got that way because their parents forced them to go and do extra power skating classes or playing hockey in the summertime you know Sidney Crosby is who he is as a hockey player because he spent every waking free second he had working on his game because he wanted to because it was fun he didn't even realize how good he was getting doing all this stuff so that's kind of the message and um i think if you just sit back as a parent and support your kid and let them know you know that you basically just enjoy watching them do what they do you know they'll dictate their own career yeah it's mastering your craft as well uh, well it's a great read and uh, you can go on it's a barnes and noble i know amazon has it as well check it out it's breaking away a harrowing story true story of resilience courage and triumph patrick uh, it's a great thing you wrote it and you helping maybe some people break that cycle which is great as well uh we appreciate you joining us man i have to get you back on sometime uh, great stuff and uh, we'll definitely talk to you up the road okay jason thanks for having me on